God has given us so many opportunities to make a difference. We just got back from Nicaragua with a group of your teenagers. Your teenagers, I tell you what, those 12 teenagers that we went with, they amazed me. But one of the things they said when we were there is like, I get it now. I get what we're doing. I get what we're trying to do around the globe and the, and the difference that it makes in the lives of, of the under-resourced and others all over the globe. So we just want to be a part of that together. I met a new friend at the gym this week. His name's Darren. And Darren, uh, he said that he had started coming to Community of Faith. And he said, I've gone to quite a few other churches. But he said, it was like at Community of Faith. And you started speaking. And it was just like, I get it. it. This makes sense to me. And I turned to my wife and said, I get it. And he said, you know, I, I just wasn't sure if a church could be that real. And so on the way out, I just grabbed a guy and said, is this church for real? I didn't even know it. And he said, let me tell you my story. He said, a few years ago, I was, had never been in church in my life, ever. And my children started coming to Community of Faith with some friends. And then my, my child dragged me there. And he said, I came that first weekend and I haven't missed since. And everything's changed. My wife and I have a different relationship better. My, my kids... It, even the way I, I see life, it's all changed. He said, this is for real. And I'm glad that we can be a part of a church like that. But a lot of you have come to faith in, in Christ through your children, being a part of our children's uh, ministry there uh, on the weekend. And, you know, we've got three amazing guys that are over each one of the grades with some of your kids. And... I just want you to know them a little bit more. I've got a video. I want you to hear their story. But here's the thing about them. This is what we're going to talk about today because we've been looking at the life of Moses. These are very ordinary guys. Three ordinary men, but they have stepped into what God has for them. They have obeyed in little baby steps. And God has begun to use them in amazing ways in the lives of your children. Take a listen to this video. Well, growing up, I didn't have a whole lot of positive influences in my life. I, I know that my dad wasn't really around much of my childhood, and my mom was always working to provide for me and my three siblings. But as I grew older, uh, I came to know a, a good friend, a classmate of mine, who was extremely involved in church. And I remember as, as we began to hang out more and more, I started to go to church with him. And it was there that I really started to understand what it means to make Jesus the boss of my life really live full out for him. I knew from an early age that I wanted to work with kids for the rest of my life. At college, I remember taking a pop quiz in one of my Bible classes on the very first day. It was full of easy, childish questions, all but one. I didn't know the answer. I can remember distinctly when the teacher asked for the answer, everyone began to sing a song that they learned as a child. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but it turned out I didn't know that answer. I'd never even heard that song, and so of course I missed the question. It was then that I realized that I needed to work in children's ministry. I wanted to teach all those kids that were just like me, never attending church more than a few times in a life. So the reason why I'm so passionate about children's ministry is because we have the opportunity to set a spiritual foundation for a kid that will influence them for the rest of their life. I have had several people make a huge impact on my relationship with Jesus when I was a child, and I'm excited for the opportunity to return the favor and to be that same influence for other kids. Just the feeling that you get when you come, it just feels very warm, welcoming, 
and you don't really feel like ever, you don't really feel scared. Like even some of the new kids you see, I wasn't very like, I wasn't scared because it just looked nice and friendly and welcoming. It just felt warm. Something you wanna, would just keep listening to, like what's he gonna do next? Or what's he gonna say next? Or what's coming next? I've learned that um, even when you feel like you're alone, you're really not alone. You still have God with you, even through your tough times. I know that all of us can point back to just a few key people in our lives that really help to shape what we know about God and help us to see who God really is. And for me, it was it was those three. And I do, I do ministry and I work at CUF Kids because I want to be that for these kids. I want to be one of these people in these kids' life that really changed everything for them. Recruiting the best leaders, gathering resources, and doing everything we can to make the most of the time that we have with your kids. We have to make the most of it because we only get one hour, and so we make sure that it's the best hour of their entire week. Here at COF Kids, we believe that the Bible story should never be boring. Worship can be really, really loud, and good leaders always seem to care. You know, the truth is we all have a faith journey that we're on. And I love that in children's ministry, we get to team up with parents and other leaders and setting the foundation for a child's relationship with God. It's amazing to see our teams of people come together and helping develop spiritual understanding in our kids. And every weekend we have the opportunity to share a Bible story with hundreds of kids that tells them who God is and challenges them to follow him. It's amazing to be teaching kids about Jesus and just to see it click and a light turns on for them as they begin to understand God's love for them. We really, in everything we do, we want to be a resource for you so you can best raise your kid to be the godly young man and woman they're going to be. You know, every one of us is capable of making a lasting positive impact on a kid's uh, journey with God. And it's an exciting time to be in COF Kids Ministry, and we can't wait to see what God has planned for the future. I love that these are three ordinary guys, but they have stepped in to be full out for God, and God has called them, and they have a front row seat to his miracle in the lives of your children, and it's amazing that your children are finding out that church is fun. That might be a lot different than you're growing up, right? Church is fun. God loves them. He's got a plan for them. He's there, even in the midst of their hardest times. And a lot of the kids I know are going through some tough times, just like you are. He's there. And these guys get to be there and see that and see God in action in their lives. That's what we're going to pick up on today. I want you to pull out your sermon notes. You can turn in your Bibles if you want to Exodus chapter 3. We, we've been looking at the life of Moses uh, just the last couple of times I've spoken. It was about three weeks, four weeks ago, and we were talking about how... Uh, Moses was a prince of Egypt, and he was kind of a cocky, brash young guy, and, but he felt that God was moving on his heart because he was also a Hebrew, and he was wanting to free his people from Pharaoh and from bondage, and so he took it upon himself. He went out and killed an Egyptian. He did some other things. Ends up that it didn't work out at all because it wasn't God's way. It wasn't God's time. It wasn't God's plan at that moment, though he did want to use Moses. And Moses ends up running for his life. When we see him today, he's been 40 years on the backside of the desert. 40 years. And he's not the same brash, cocky young guy anymore. He's kind of a broken man at this point. 
as his age has come on him, he's realized his limitations. And what's interesting is now God appears to him because now he's ready to be used by God. So let's look at that in, in Exodus chapter 3. You can see it on the screen or there in your notes or in your Bible. It says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Wow, we've heard this story. We've seen it. Maybe you watched the, the, the great epic, the Ten Commandments. You know, it's like 15 hours long, it seems like. Uh, and, uh, you know, Charlton Heston is Moses. And it's always interesting to me because the bush is burning and, and, and how Hollywood sees God. He gets up there and God begins to speak from the bush. And you remember God's voice? That was, that was the thing I never could get over because it was like, it's like, is God's like, I mean, I'm going to be really disappointed if I get to heaven and God goes, Mark, welcome. You know, it's like, I think that's kind of a Hollywood kind of a feel, like, you know, some kind of really slowed down record or something, you know, and God didn't talk like that. But I'm not surprised that God chose fire to represent himself because you think about fire. Fire is warm and inviting. You want to get up next to the fire on a cold winter's day, right? And it warms you up. It invites you in. But at the same time, nothing is more terrifying than fire. We teach our children, you need to respect that flame, right? Because a wildfire, just, it, just is, it consumes everything around it. It's scary. It's terrifying. And God can be both of those things. We have to have a sense of awe around him. In fact, Moses took his shoes off because he was standing on holy ground. He realized it's God himself. Let's skip to verse 7. The Lord told him, no, he didn't talk like that. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down. Some of the most beautiful words ever spoken in the Bible. I have come down. It reminds us of the name of Jesus, Emmanuel. The Bible says it means God among us, God with us. You see, that's what separates Christianity from every other religion on the face of the earth. All the others are us striving to get somewhere, to God or to perfection or to some kind of one with a cosmos something like that but what the bible tells us is in reality what happened is god saw our predicament and he came down he sees you it might feel like he's a million miles away but he's not he's come down he saw those tears that you cried last night he saw them they didn't fall to the ground without him seeing look verse 11 God says to Moses, I'm going to send you now to free my people. 
And see, Moses is so cocky. If he had come 40 years before, Moses said, of course you chose me. I'm a prince of Egypt. Of course you chose me. I, I, I've got all the learning of the Egyptians. And I'm the perfect one to lead these people out. But Moses has changed. Moses has been broken on the backside of the desert. And he says this. Moses, the Bible says, protested to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should do this? Who am I that you would choose me? You know, it's interesting because that's the great cry of our age today. Who am I? Our teenagers, I, I saw a study the other day, frightening. The suicide rate among teenagers is climbing at an alarming speed it's beginning to move upward like this who am I you see part of our issue today is that we are not anchored or moored to anything there's no truth everything is relative that's you know we say oh that's good that's your truth it's not really my truth and we just truth is just all over the place right we've gotten away from God we in our culture we now define ourselves, not mortar connected to anything. And there's a lot of false identities that come from that. Some of them out here, even in Cyprus, one of them is, I'm in control. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I am in control. No, you're not. You have no control over this universe. God is in control, but you're not God and so we try to control and what ends up we either get really anxious or really angry and if you're anxious or angry this morning I want you to kind of check and see if you've got some control issues going on here I'm in control you cannot control your circumstances many times there's very little that we do control you can't control your kids even some of you are so angry can't control your family can't control your boss can't control those coworkers, but you try, and, and when you realize it's out of control, you try harder. But it's a false identity. I'm not in control. Another false identity that we have out here in Cyprus is, I am what I do. I am what I do, or I am what I own. You know, it's interesting that so many times I see people retire and die within just a few months or a year or so after they retire. And I think a lot of times it's because we've tied in who we are with what we do. And, and, and if you're tied in and your identity is who, what I do or what I own, you're either going to be in debt. You want to raise our hands? How many of us are in debt? We don't want to do that, do we? In debt or depressed or depressed and in debt, which is worse, right? <clears throat> and, and you can see why, because... You can never measure up if that's, the, if that's the standard. I mean, out here, in, even in Cyprus, you say, well, I bought in Fairfield because it's a, the most amazing master-planned community, and you're all excited. You're in Fairfield. Oh, I'm in Fairfield. And then all of a sudden, here comes this other master-planned community by the people that brought you the woodlands full of bridges, right? Oh, no. So you move to the Bridgelands because it's the Bridgelands, right? And then about the time you settle in your house in the Bridgelands, somebody builds a giant master plan community with boat docks and a lake and a beach. 
I didn't even know there were lakes out here. You know, but it, you can never, you, can, you can't keep up. It, you, you just can't keep up. And so you're depressed or you're in debt. Our education system is built now not around, you know, learning so much, but is, is built around building self-esteem. Everyone wins. No one fails. No one makes C. C is average. You know that, right? Some of you go, I'm going to use that on my folks. C is, but, but you know, I mean, that's just, no, you can't make C. Everybody's got to, you know, nobody really makes below hardly a B, you know. And, 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 and it's just like, we're going to like push you on through. You're going to get through. We're going to make sure. And you know what the false identity that comes out of that? I deserve an easier life. But the truth is, life is difficult. You know, and, and, and so we get out into our first jobs and that boss is so mean. He expects me to be at work on time. That's ridiculous. And stay till the very end of the day. I mean, you know, like all the way till five. It's crazy. I'm going to have my parents call. No, it, 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 it's just, I mean, that's, that's kind of how it, it's become. And, and, and what about marriage? Oh, my gosh, marriage. Did you know marriage is difficult? The Bible said, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's life is difficult. And if you get married, Paul said, you will have more trouble. Why didn't the pastor tell you that, right? Before, somewhere in the vows, you could have backed out, right? You're getting ready to have a whole lot of trouble. Right there. That guy's name, trouble, right? Because it's going to be difficult. In fact, when I'm counseling guys, a lot of times I'll tell them, they go, I'm working so hard. And I hear how, what they've done. And I said, you're working about a tenth as hard as it's going to take to keep this thing together. And they're like, what? But it's so true. When we think life should be easy. We have another false identity that I see in America today. And it's, I am what I feel I am. Because... Whatever I feel, that's got to be what I am. I was watching a, a video on, on the internet. A five foot ten white guy went to an Ivy League college, and, and he was just with a microphone asking random students, you know, do you accept me as I am? And they said, well, yeah, we sure do. And he said, well, I feel like I'm a woman. And they said, that's fine. You can be a woman. He said, I feel like I'm black. Because you can be a black woman. I feel like I'm six foot seven. And most of them said you could be a six foot seven black woman. Now, one guy said, You ain't six seven. You know, I mean, that was where he grew the line, you know? But I was thinking, we've got, become unmoored to anything. And so all of a sudden, this five foot ten white guy is a six foot seven black woman because he feels like that. Somebody just needs to say, Dude. You're five foot ten white guy. You need psychiatric help, right? But that's not what we do anymore because we've become unmoored. The Bible says that, will the clay say to the potter, why did you make me like this? See, God created you for a reason, even if it doesn't feel exactly right right now. He made you exactly the way he wanted you. And he knew maybe it was going to be a struggle. And I 
sympathize and I'm there with you and I love at, at, at community of faith we walk together I'm not making fun because this is life and death stuff I get it but here's the deal God loves you and he made you like he loved to make you and he loved how he put you together and he did it with loving hands and a loving eye of an artist and there's something going on with that now some of us say well that's not my issues but we are still mastered by our moods I am what I feel I feel irritable today so I'm going to act irritable you do that I, I, I feel bored so I'm going to eat something because I'm bored I feel depressed I'm going to act depressed so are, are, are you irritable depressed and bored and eating all the time that's because I feel that well I feel that you know so are you a depressed bored compulsive eater or are you a child of the king with the Holy Spirit's power running through your veins well I don't feel that I don't feel it feelings lie you might want to write that down feelings lie feelings are not accurate feelings is God never intended for us to base our life on our moods he just didn't you know if I preach to you every Sunday that I felt like it we would just have a lot of singing going on here sometimes I would just get up and go hey band come on back out here you know I'm gonna go get a donut I'll be back I'm depressed and bored and I want a donut right now but God's going no I've got so much more for you in fact it's easier psychologists tell us to act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting why because we sit around waiting for a feeling it never comes but when we begin to act well you know I've just lost that love and feeling love is not a feeling the Bible says love is action love is patient love is kind love doesn't seek its own way it keeps going first Corinthians 13 if you want to read what love is do those things toward your spouse and watch the feelings begin to turn around it's what the Bible talks about let me go on in verse 13 but Moses protested if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you they will ask me what is his name then what should I tell them God replied to Moses I am who I am say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you God also said to Moses say this to the people of Israel Yahweh you know what Yahweh is just in Hebrew I am that I am I am who I am the God of your ancestors the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob has sent me to you this is my eternal name my name to remember for all generations this is a really important name all the other names of God are based on what he does or what he gives like he gives peace so we call him Yahweh Shalom or he provides Yahweh Jireh in the Bible you see all of these things what he does or what he gives but this is outside of that first thing we see when he says I am who I am and that is eternally present the best translation literally would be I be who I be I be who I be right God's not even worried about grammar and I love it 
That's who he is. I be who I be. I'm the God of Abraham right now. He said, "How Abraham's dead. You were the God. No, I am. I'm out. See, Father Time is one of his creations. I am the God of Abraham right now. I am the God of Isaac right now. I am the God of Jacob right now. I am the God of Mark right now. All of those because he's outside of time. He sees it all at once. We can't even fathom that. I hear people say, you know, God always was. That's actually not correct. Now, it is from our perspective, but the truth is God always is because he doesn't even have time. He's just way back there, billions of years ago, he is. He sees it. Billions of years into the future, he is. You say, Mark, my brain's exploding right now. I know. He's God. We don't get it. But just think about that tomorrow. You're so anxious about tomorrow. He's already there. He's waiting to welcome you into it as his little child. And you're so worried about it, but he's already there. He's the eternally present one. The other thing about this is he's self-defining. I am who I am. Well, you know, I think God is like, it doesn't matter what you think God's like. He says, I am who I am. You want to know me? You have to know me as I am because that's who I am. I am who I am. See, I am a dad. I am a husband. I am a pastor. I define myself and it's open-ended and I put things there. God doesn't do that. He just says, I am who I am. And we have to know him as that. Anchor to the one who never changes. Why? Because I am who I am. I'm never going to change. My promises will always hold. I might be fickle, you might be, but he never is. War's about to break out between two I am's. Pharaoh, I am the most powerful man on the planet. And the great I am that I am. I am who I am. You see how that's going to turn out. And it's interesting because you know who this I am is? It's Jesus. We don't a lot of times connect Jesus to the Old Testament. We think it's almost like there's two different gods. No, he runs all the way through. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are Jesus' great enemy. Isn't that sad to say the religious leaders are his great enemy? But it was true. And they came to him and they said, Sir, we don't mean to offend, but isn't it true that you have a demon? That's not offensive, really. I mean, try that on your wife, you know, after an argument. Don't need to, I don't mean to offend you, honey, but uh, you sure you're not demon possessed? Yeah, that's going to go over big. <laughs> Her head's going to spin around. and I don't know what's going to happen. But they said that to him and he said, he began to talk about himself and he said, I want you to know Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And they said, you're, you're 30. How could Abraham, Abraham have seen your day? And he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And again, wait, the grammar's wrong. No, it's not wrong. He's saying I am who I am. When they came to the garden and Judas kissed him on the cheek, and they said, are you the, the Jesus, one of the, one of the leaders of the soldiers? They had this huge army that came out to get this one guy that wasn't even armed. And are you Jesus? He said, I am. And all of a sudden it said this 
burst of power came out of him and it blew them all off. I just imagine almost like one of those action movies where all of a sudden it goes into slow motion, you know, and they're going, they got blown off their feet and blown backwards onto their back. I am who I am. He was saying, I go of my own volition. You're not taking me, soldiers. I'm coming because I came for this to die. It's interesting to me. Chapter 4, Moses protests again. He, Moses is determined not to do this. He's freaked out that God would call him. Have you been there? You know, I, I can't do this, God. You're asking me to do something I can't do. So he says again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never even appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. A, a, a literal translation would be more like Moses screamed like a little girl and ran off. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his See, this is how God always works with us. He says, I'm going to give you my word. I've got 7,000 promises in this book. I want you to stand on them because I am who I am. They were true yesterday. They're true today. They'll be true a thousand years from now. I am who I am. I don't change. Anchor in. And we say, wow, that's risky. That, that, that's dangerous. And we, and we get nervous, right? What's that in your hand? See, Moses said, well, it used to be a scepter. That's when I was somebody. Now it's just a crooked old shepherd's staff. And God's going, good, now you're ready. Because it's not about you. It's about me. It's not about you, Moses. It's, you think I need your skill set, Moses? I don't. It's about me. I'm just offering you a front row seat to see me in action, to see the miracle happen, to see my glory Think of all the things that Moses got to see. Front row seat. The Lord gives his word. He reveals his power as we step into obedience. Moses has done a lot of talking here. We had not seen God do anything yet. But when God says, throw down the staff and he does it, a miracle happens. It turns into a snake. I think it turned into a, a cobra probably because... The Egyptian ruler had a crown that was his war crown and it had a, a hooded cobra that was open in the front facing out toward all of his enemies and the people of Egypt felt as when the Pharaoh put that crown on his head in that moment he became a living God, the most powerful God of Egypt. And he was almost like a God. He had life and death decrees in his hands, right? He could just point and say, you're done and you're done. God was going, let me show you what I think about all of that human power. I want you to grab it by the tail. Now Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years now, seeing all those snakes on the backside of the desert, right? And he knows you don't grab a snake by the tail. That's ridiculous. You know, if you're going to grab it at all, you grab it behind the head. I, I remember when we were in Africa on, uh, on safari and they, they were telling us, now be careful, you know, always look down when you get out of you know your tent and, and you know or out of bed at night in your tent because um, there, we have like green mambas here if you get bit by a green mamba we're gonna have to we'll hook you up to the car battery and it kind of 
I always wondered, was that really true? Or are they trying to make us feel better? You know, how do you hook yourself up to a car battery? One, you know, on each ear or what? And they said it kind of neutralizes the poison. But they said, but if you get bit by a puff adder, start praying. You have 57 minutes before you see God. I was like, I'm going to always look down before I get out of bed, right? Moses was like, he knew this is a cobra. This is poisonous. You don't grab it by the tail. But God said, grab it by the tail. So Moses, Moses does it. Grabs it by the tail. God's trying to say something. In that moment, it turns back into his shepherd staff. Who am I? Who am I, Moses keeps asking. God never speaks in answers to Moses' low self-esteem because it's not about Moses. See, this whole thing, we, we, we've missed it. It's not who am I, it's who is he? Who is he? It's about him. God answers, in fact, in one of these, if you read the whole passage, which I didn't have time to do for you, Moses says, who am I? And God says, but I will be with you. He doesn't even answer it. He just says, I'll be with you. Tim Chester, who's a church planter in England, out in the rural countryside of England, uh, gave this example, and, and I thought it was really good. So I'm just going to put it into kind of first person for me. Imagine if I went to London to see the Queen and you know I came up and, and I knocked on the big gate you know the guys are standing there with their with their guns and the big tall furry hats and all that you know and, and I kind of reached over past them and somehow they let me and I'm knocking on the door and actually someone actually comes to the door I came to London and I just thought it would be cool to have tea with the Queen you know what they're gonna say who are you I'll say I'm Mark Shook and I'll say get lost right because who am I if you did it same thing who are you but you know what's interesting is Kate Middleton was in that same boat with us not that long ago Kate Middleton could have come up and knocked and said I want to have tea with the queen and who are you I'm Kate Middleton who cares but now when Kate Middleton goes she doesn't even have to knock those guys move out of the way and they just let her walk straight through she can have tea with the queen why she just says I'm with him in fact she has a, a, a new title right she's princess and she's her royal highness now that's true of us too you see it's not about what we can do when he's inviting us in to walk with him and to see his miracle happen in our lives and in the lives of people around us it's not because oh you're so special I'm so oh I just feel so lucky that you're a believer I'm so glad that you came to faith now we can really do something that's not about our skill set he just wants to use us I'm not in control false identity but I'm with him he is and I trust his heart he never changes I am who I am I don't understand it right now maybe can't figure out what's going on I feel really weird about uh, uh, about my identity, who I am, and my uh, my sexuality, even. And but I'm with him. I'm with him. He knows what he's doing. I, I, I'm going to look to him. I'm going to press into him. I'm going to get close to him. I'm going to let him begin to show me and un open this up for me and begin to blow my mind about what he has in mind for me. 
didn't say it's going to be easy. Life is difficult. But I'm with him. I'm with him. It's okay. He's already there tomorrow. He knows how anxious I am about it. But I can lay that at his feet because he's already there and he loves me. And I'm his little son. I'm his little daughter. I can press in to that. Self-esteem movement has made you think you're more than average. If I ask how many of us are average, no one's going to probably raise their hand. But you know, the truth of us, the truth is a lot of us, most of us, it has to be that way, right? Isn't that how average works? Some of us might be below average. But you know what? That's okay. I'm average. I'm not a superhero. But you know what? I'm with him. I'm with him, and that's all that matters. You know who God loves to use? Average people. Those three guys working with your children. You might think they're superheroes. They're average. But they're with him. And they have a front row seat to a miracle. And that's what he's, he's offering you. And let me just ask you, are you obeying? Are you taking baby steps forward in obedience? Because that's what makes all the difference. You see, we live in the Bible Belt. And the Bible Belt, and this is just a plea. I, I'm not trying to be tough on you. I, I love you. But the Bible Belt is, the churches in the Bible are crammed full of people that have no identification with God at all except that they come to church on the weekend because it's the Bible Belt. And we've got a lot of things that we, oh, let me make you feel good. I want you to leave. Oh, I've got my... My head of Mark shook today. Woo, feels good. I feel better. But the Bible says there's got to be obedience. And in fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And when I first read that, I thought, well, I need to work really hard to keep his commandments and show him that I love him. That's not what he said. Did you see what he said? He said, if you really love me, you won't be able to help it. You're going to keep my commandments. You're going to have a desire to do it. doesn't mean, little child, you're not going to fall on your face. You're learning how to walk. I get it. You're struggling forward one baby step at a time. I get it. But if there's no baby step struggle, you're not a believer. I think in our society today, we see that. Whether it's in our moods or in our giving or in our sexuality. You want to see God bless your marriage? You can't be living together. Before you get married, you can't put his blessing on that. He wants to really badly. He wants to do something astounding, amazing. But we have to choose. We're his little ones. He never changes. He loves us with all of his heart. He doesn't just say things so that we have to like, you obey me. Why? Because... Right? You used to say that. Your parents said that. You hated that. He always says, because I love you, and I've got your best interest at heart. One of the things we do, and I'll just close with this. Lord, you're almighty. You're all-knowing. You can do anything, and this is what Moses said. Unfortunately, my inadequacies trump your power. Unfortunately, not with me. So send someone else. And God is saying, your brokenness 
it's not greater than my power. Little son, little daughter, I see how broken you are. I get it. And we're all broken here. We're all like Moses on the backside of the desert. Many of us, we felt like we had a scepter at one time and now we just got an old crooked stick. And God's going, perfect. Now I'm ready to open up a front row seat to watch me. It's not about you. It's about me. I know that it's going to be a struggle. Struggle forward, stumble forward in obedience, little son. And you'll see what I'm going to do. It's going to be amazing to watch that great ocean open up. And you'll walk through the middle. He held up that very same stick. Do you remember when that happened? God's got big plans. A young woman that I know very well. She was so timid and so shy and she wouldn't even play charades in front of her friends. She would never speak in public. I mean, she was just one of the most timid women you would ever meet. But one day I remember at church, she was asked to speak and she thought, I can't do it. I don't want to. And she said, no. But then she felt like God was moving in her heart. So she said, okay. And she stood up to speak to a group of couples and God just moved. And then she timidly began to do that more and more. And God would move every time. And she came to me and she said, Mark, I think I've got the gift of teaching. I would have never known that. I know that really well because that woman is my wife, Laura. And you've sat under her teaching and some of you have been transformed under her teaching. But she and I, we're just average. But we have a front row seat to see what he's doing in your life we're average it's okay to be average take a deep breath maybe you just want to turn to the person next to you i'm just average it's okay you know don't you tell them they're below average okay no honey you're below average no don't do that okay some of you i saw you looking getting a smile on your face like you had something i want you just to close your eyes with me as we close Are you taking baby steps forward in obedience? That's the sign. If you love me, if you really love me, you'll obey. Doesn't mean you'll obey perfectly. He didn't mean that you're never going to fall. You're going to fall a lot. But are you taking baby steps forward? Are you trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord? I just want to please my father because he loves me so much. Not trying to earn your way. You're not trying to earn your way. It's not... It's already been given as a free gift. That's why Jesus died. You can't earn that. You didn't do it. He did it. Accept it. I step into this journey with you. I accept what you did on the cross for me. I move into this right now. Some of you, you've got a false identity going in. It's been eating you up. Just take a deep breath. I'm not in control. I'm with him. It's going to transform your marriage. It's going to transform your parenting. It's going to transform your health because you're not going to be so stressed all the time. 